And all of a sudden, uh, I heard somebody saying, Old Ice, Old Ice, wake up! I'm Mark Standish, and you're listening to Critical Faith. This podcast is coming to you from the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics at the Institute for Christian Studies. ICS is a graduate school of philosophy in Toronto, where I am a junior member. In this podcast, we get together to talk about all things faith, scholarship, and society, and the many ways those things interact. We want Critical Faith to give you a bit of a glimpse into the everyday life of ICS. Each week, we will invite past and present members of ICS and friends of the Institute to join us. We'll ask them to share their journey in scholarship and how it connects to their faith and their lives. I'm Danielle Yet, and I'm also an ICS junior member. Joining us today, we have ICS Emeritus Professor in Philosophical Theology, Jim Oltheis. We'll give Jim a chance to introduce himself a little later in the program. And that gets us to our first segment. Don't miss this. In this segment, we will highlight all kinds of things that we don't want you as our listeners to miss. New books and articles in philosophy, theology, and current affairs, important events and anniversaries in these same worlds and in the church year, and every now and then, an event at the Institute for Christian Studies. So, Danielle, what's something we should not miss out on? Uh, well, I'm going to do a little plug here for our upcoming ICS, well, for our upcoming undergraduate workshop. Um, we've had two in past years, so this will be our third. Uh, and it's called God and Politics, Religion and Public Life in the 21st Century. Uh, it's happening from May 23rd to May 25. And basically, it's just a chance for undergraduate students to have a space to talk about their work um, in an environment where they can get very constructive and supportive kind of feedback um, and kind of have a chance to experience a little bit of what it's like to do the whole grad school thing Mm -hmm. to figure out that we don't in fact bite all the time. Sometimes we do. Um, So yeah, I'm trying to remember the past themes. Last year's was... um, life and slash as storytelling which is a very postmodern title for you so this one obviously talks around like politics and identity and pluralism and all those things relation of theology and religion to political concepts and actions and structures and everything whatever whatever way you can find a connection to the topic like we creativity is encouraged um so yeah, May 23rd to 25th is when it's happening. And call we have a call for papers actually currently out on our website. If you visit um, icscanada.edu, uh, there's a tab for our undergraduate workshop. We'll also probably include a link in our description for this episode for you. But there's a call for papers out as well. And, um, and the deadline for that is March 15th. So if you are an undergraduate or know an undergraduate who has thoughts about these things, tell them to send us a send us an application by the 15th, by March 15th. Okay, so another thing that you should be aware of, I'm going to plug Hamilton again, as I typically do. The musical? 
the musical, not the musical, no, Hamilton the City, um, which the musical is not based off of. In fact, I don't know if the musical even has an idea that Hamilton, Ontario exists. Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) They They don't know about the Steel City of Canada. I guess not. <laughs> that's a, that's the sequel, or, Hamilton Two. Yeah, Hamilton Two. Uh, the subtitle: The Tiger Cats Rule. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Lin Manuel Miranda? <laughs> uh, I can bring over a flag. Um, <laughs> uh, so, in Hamilton, on Wednesday, March sixth, from eight to eleven, the Sad Boys. The sad ha- boys strike again. The sad boys strike again. We're having a reading. Um, it's not a typical sad boys reading, poetry reading. Uh, it is we are asking uh, guests to read in our stead um, and to read their own poetry. So it's an opportunity to hear poets maybe you've never heard before. I mean, not like you've heard the sad boys either, <laughs> but uh, definitely never heard before in this case. So come on out again Wednesday, March 6th from 8 to 11 at the Artward Art Bar in Hamilton. Artward. <laughs> one of the weirder places in the world. <laughs> I think I'm going to actually try and get to that one because I've been meaning to try and get to one and I totally missed the last one. So, Well, come on over. If you want to hear poetry or if you want to see my face. Or mine. Or or Mark's. You know, that's a perk. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And that was March 6th, yeah? March 6th, 2019. Cool. For our second segment, we want to give you a glimpse of what it's like to be critically faithful in a graduate school of philosophy, theology, and interdisciplinary studies like ICS. So we're simply asking our guests, what are you working on? We'll talk about seminars and courses taking place at ICS at this moment, the reading and other research our members are doing, our writing, publishing, presentations, and conference participation. So welcome, Jim. Before we jump in, I'd like to ask you a few intro questions. So first... Very good, very good. (laughs) Since you've lived in Toronto for quite a while now, um, what are some or what is one of your favorite coffee shops or bars? My favorite coffee shop I go to every day is uh, Lazy Daisies on uh, Gerard, right off of um, um, Coxwell. And it gives you a little lunch, too, if you want it. And it brings in families and kids. And it's a community thing. So, no, I I like that. and wherever I am in the world, of course, I go to Starbucks. Um, <laughs> I'm a Starbucky in that respect. Starbucks. So, yeah. Emily, she was on uh, on this on the podcast a little bit earlier, and she also mentioned she loved Lazy Daisies. It's oh a, yes, it's an East End perk for you, I guess. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, so our third and last intro question is: Who do you think is the most overrated? philosopher of our time or all time i i can't answer that question because i'm i've always um i don't read philosophers that turn me on turn me on and uh, the others i don't rate them good or bad uh, so i don't know whether if they're overrated or underrated um i i tend to not um, think that philosophers who emphasize uh, analysis and in, in getting things logically right are interesting. I don't find them interesting. Um, but many people think they're great. They think they're the, the greatest philosophers. Um, I, I like uh, philosophers who are thinking about the meaning of life and about um, how theory actually affects practice. Um, so that's why my whole life I've had one foot in uh, psychotherapy, working with people, and one in the theory. And uh, working with people was sort of the lab for whether the philosophy made sense. Um, and so, yes, if a philosopher doesn't um, relate his or her work to the world, 
I'm not very interested in it. And yes, I would call them under overrated <laughs> if they. Anyway, that makes sense. Who would you? Who are you um, reading now? Then what are you? What are you working on in that realm? Both in, I guess, in your practice and in your study. I um, just taught a course in Slavok Zizak and. He, to me, is the most interesting philosopher right now. Um, interesting because um, I agree with him almost completely and disagree with him at the same time completely. He, for me, gets everything right upside down. So um, that's that's quite amazing. He's, he's, a, he's a postmodern cultural critic who... Um, is um, an atheist who loves Christianity, which it, in itself shows you why I might be interested in him. Uh, I like postmodernism, um, but I want a post-postmodern uh, Christian philosophy. And um, Zizek is a, is a really good companion in that respect. The most interesting philosopher to be, the most um, challenging, and I think the one who contributes the, the most to the North American scene right now is a friend of mine, John Caputo, Jack. Um, Jack is always uh, pushing things um, from um, a Christian point of view, although some people think that he is not really Christian, but he's he raises the questions uh, that we have to raise. Um, is belief in God meaningful and important, and how does it work out in actual life? So yes, and Jacques Derrida is probably my um, one of my favorite philosophers. And then, of course, there's the two women who, uh, philosophers who I think are very important, Julia Kristeva and Lusa Rigore. Um, Lusa Rigore is um, philosophy of love is very close to my own. So um, I particularly appreciate her. So you mentioned Zizek. Could you maybe give an example of him being right but upside down? Well, Zizek... Um, will um, say that uh, creation is catastrophe. And, and since creation was a catastrophe, it's always going to be a catastrophe. It's always going to change. And uh, it's going to change, in, in, but it's never going to get any, any better. Um, and so what you need to do to get through the night is have a fundamental fantasy. And um, the fantasy is important, and it's not um, all fake because it's, it's based on, on what's going on in the world, but it, it doesn't uh, do away with the fact that at the heart of uh, reality, it's a self-repelling gap. The gap, the gap of um, catastrophe. Um, and I start with love. Um, so to me, love versus catastrophe is, um, yeah, it's, it's a big difference. At the same time, there is catastrophe in the world because of uh, the brokenness of life. So um, love um, comes first for me. Uh, Zizek uh, also talks about you know, love is important. You fall in love, but it's an accidental kind of thing that you're out of control. And so it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing because it, it gets you through the night. And it's a bad thing when you count on it. Because if you count on it, you're going to uh, be um, surprised and disappointed. So, yes, 
if that's how Zizek characterizes love, what would your response to him be? Well, I love it that he loves love, and and that uh, and there is a great thing about falling in love uh, when you um, you don't regard yourself as the uh, end all and be all, and you and you put yourself uh, into position. But Zizek says that um, you really. Uh, Ought not to think that you are a lovable person because you're really not lovable. You're uh, you're not very lovable. Um, <laughs> to put it nicely. Yes, he has he has all kinds of different uh, words for that. Um, ex, yeah, excremental voids. The only thing is when you realize that somebody um, loves you. Then you say to yourself, boy, oh boy, they think I'm great. Maybe I ought to be great. Maybe I ought to do things that are worthwhile. And that's worthwhile. Um, now, I think one of the main things that uh, has to change in philosophy is that we understand that you can actually love yourself and love an another person and they are not in conflict. It's not as if loving yourself uh, is egoism necessarily. And uh, you have to give this up um, and love another person or love somebody else and then not regard yourself. Um, for me, love is a mutual thing. Uh, I love myself in loving you and you in loving me love yourself so for me the big um, word actually is uh, with we are with each other and power is power with it's not power against or over um, that's still in the history of uh, philosophy a very difficult thing um, most philosophers even my my good friends say um, to be an agent is to do something to somebody else. It's in a sense oppositional. If you decide not to do it, be oppositional, you're a bit nuts. Um, it's good, but you realize that you're a bit crazy because to be an agent means to do something over against something else. I, I think that's basically a, a mistake. Um, I think we're to, power is power with, love is power with. It's not love versus power. Um, love is its own power, but it's a power, a sharing power, a power with. Um, and I think that's, that needs to, um, be proclaimed, uh, and actually, I think it's the heart of the gospel. Um, Jesus is God with us, and we're supposed to be, people are supposed to be image bearers of God, and as image bearers of God, um, we are to be with ourselves, with creation, with others. So I, I like withing. Um, in fact, if I had to coin a word, uh, and I've tried to coin the word withing, W-I-T-H-I-N-G, that's, yes. So you've been, you've been working on, like, love and this withing for pretty much since you started doing academics, it seems to me. Is there a way that your thought and living, I guess, in, has developed over time, or do you see more continuity? Well, it it it, ha it has made it um, the importance of um, love has become more and more dominant in my life. Um, I'm always interested in, and that's from this 
50 years ago when I started teaching was the connection between God and creation. And that connection was a covenantal connection, and that which we've always said a covenant. But a covenant, uh, what does that mean? And I think it's a, it's a love um, relation. And it's a relationship between uh, the creator God and the creation. And um, in, in the tradition, we, we said that that was the word of God. There's God and there's the word um, for creation. And I've always liked that, that the, uh, God created by let there be, let there be. And the let there be um, was first emphasized more as a law, as God's law for the creation. And um, now I, I think that that's not, uh, that's not a good emphasis. I think uh, God's word for the creation is a word of love. And that's an invitational word. That's a word which, which says um, um, it, there's a gift. You're gifted with love and you're supposed to pass love on. So a gift and a call. So for probably 30 years, I've emphasized that uh, God's connection with the creation um, is direct and there's... God is not, I don't think God is transcendent. God is incendent. That, that means God is um, with the creation and in the creation in a dynamic way. So love is the universal life principle or God is the universal life principle. And, and that doesn't mean that you're a pantheist and it doesn't mean that you're uh, that you put God outside the creation, either um, in some kind of um, other way. Um, God is dancing with the creation. There's a gift and a call. And God, we are um, there to work out what, with God, what love means in the creation. And that's... Um, a relational, interrelational, uh, there's a mutuality. And that's actually the, the heart of what I think is the, is the covenant uh, between God and, uh, God and creation. And that, um, that means that we're um, very responsible. Um, and in being responsible, we're free. Uh, so that... That's been a bit of growing emphasis. And in psychotherapy, um, that's worked its way out too. Um, as a therapist, you don't have um, a cure uh, for a person. You're with them. You suffer with them. You celebrate with them. You're with them as God is with us. And in that sense, we can be Christ's to each other. We're supposed to be. Christ to each other. Is there a way in your practice how you've come to practice differently based on this view that you well, have? Well, you start by listening. Um, the, the, the biggest thing to do is to realize that if you're in a, um, a relationship with, with another person or with anything in life, the attention isn't on you nor on them or on what you're working with, but it's on the, um, the flow, the connection, what's happening um, in the movement between the back and forth movement because you're supposed to be um, working in the ministry of love. And, and that's to, to help people be what they're called to be. And so you dance with them. I call it dancing in the wild spaces of love. I think the creation is, uh, is, is the wild spaces of love. Wild in the sense that it's not uh, preordained um, where love is going to take you. Um, and that's why it's exciting. 
it's also um, not so exciting sometimes because it's it's a bit uh, dangerous. You don't know where it's going, but um, you you believe that in working with love, uh, you call on God to guide you and protect you. Um, I myself think that maybe, uh, you know, we should even not use the word God uh, very much because many people uh, think of God way up in the sky. Um, I think of God as, as love. God is love. And it's a strange kind of thing because it's a, a personal, impersonal thing because God loves every one of us and, and asks all of us um, each one of us to love ourselves because we are we're gifted and at the same time to realize that that gift is not for us alone but is for working with others and and um, yes so some people think of, of love as as weak um, and they're th they think that you need to um, stress strong things. And, and others saying, no, right now we need to have a, a weak theology. Um, I prefer to say we, we have a vulnerable theology. Um, um, love is vulnerable, but love is also strong. And I like that from the, the Bible. Love is uh, stronger than death. That doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle with death and, and, you're, and struggle with evil, but love is going to outlast evil. And in some ways, in, in psychotherapy, you, um, you dance with the person and uh, help them, try to help them find a way so that they can come to... Um, peace with themselves and realize their giftedness so that they can go forward with um, peace and happiness. And in our day and age, that's uh, still very important. In fact, it may be getting more important. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Do you have any new projects on the horizon? Well, I'm Right now, I'm collecting a number of essays that I've uh, written over the years. Some of them I've um, I've uh, adapted a bit and uh, sort of refined them, and others I'm still um, working on. And I'm thinking that. Uh, they should come together in a book. And they're just, I'm just about finished uh, bringing them together. Um, from the very beginning, I had the idea that uh, I wanted to do something on the Word of God for creation. And now, of course, this Word of God for creation has become the love, which is the heart, heart of creation. And so that love is, is not... Um, it's not just a, a thing for personal uh, humans, but love is the very nature of um, the driving force in creation. And, and you could, because creation then is so big and it goes beyond our powers, you need to use metaphors. So, um, Sometimes you would call the the, uh, the the ruling metaphor of creation. You could call that uh, justice, or you could call it, and I prefer to ca to call it love. But it it and it deals with um, the very nature of creation in a way that even the um, thermal dynamics, um, the um, uh, quantum mechanics, uh, they're all dealing with some kind of forces um, that is hard to get a grip on, and yet you, you feel their effect. And, and so I think in the end, you have to 
just say there is um, there is something going on, um, which is the heart of creation, and I call that the love of God, and and, and it's it's a metaphor in that sense, because it's it's beyond uh, comprehension, um, but it's still uh, very real, and well, I, going back to the. Um, your first question about uh, storybooks. Um, I think metaphors get closer to the truth um, than trying to uh, find a concept which grasps the world. A concept is only a net, and uh, the world in, and God are too big for any concept. So you. So, so finally, talking about God or the creation, you you need to use um, metaphors, and you realize that that metaphor can change. Um, in one situation, you will you will you will talk about the metaphor as justice, and another one you will talk about it as energy. Um, like the energy of the universe is is love. And it's uh, that's the quantum energy too, um, but it's also um, the energy of, of human relationships, and it's the energy of the stars and the moon, as far as I'm concerned. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and the fullness is love. Um, Pleroma in, in Greek means fullness, and Jesus is the fullness. And it turns out that uh, Jesus is the, is the fullness of love, and the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, which love is the um, driving force, uh, in my understanding, of the, of the creation. And that's the kind of thing I'm continuing to work on. What, what it means is that the the metaphor, or not so much the metaphor, the positions that most uh, people have are, are oppositional. There's always opposition, and uh, and I'm saying no. Um, we need a non-oppositional uh, approach, a with approach. Um, that doesn't mean there's no opposition. Um, but opposition um, is more than tension. I think we, when things are of, of difference, difference means that there is going to be tension. And it doesn't be, have to harden into opposition. Um, for me, the, um, the heart of, of, of brokenness is not rebellion, but it's uh, fear. It's fear to um, open yourself up to trying something different, something new, uh, taking into your perspective another person. You open up the, you open your heart and, and let yourself be touched by another person. And that um, is dangerous. Uh, and it's beautiful. Um, you know, that's why I call my book The Beautiful Risk. Uh, or one of my books is The Beautiful Risk. Um, reaching out to another is risky, um, but it's the only way to go. Uh, and it's also beautiful when it works. When it isn't work, it's, it's not so beautiful. And no wonder then that people um, clam... One to wall, I mean uh, Trump's wall. Um, you want a wall to keep out the different. You think, and you can't ever do it, but you try to do it. And, and the wall, um, there, there, walls are are only possible um, when. There are different things going on in, 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 that you need to uh, relate. 
But there's always, uh, you can go through a wall or you go over a wall, and walls are never solid, completely solid. There's, there's uh, movement uh, on both sides. Um, so, yeah, sin, sin is, is not rebellion against God. It's like not taking love at its word, not, not risking um, yourself and being in fear. It's missing the mark of love. And uh, missing the mark of love is, we all do it. And, uh, but the only people who don't do it are dead. Um, the only people who don't make a mistake are dead. So, so there, what, what I was getting to is that there's a big difference between tension, um, uh, friction, which is good. When, when the friction gets too much, then there's a, a brokenness, which is terrible. But we need to, uh, there's, there has to be friction, there has to be tension uh, for new things to happen. And that means there's always going to be a challenge. Uh, but that's, that doesn't mean that the brokenness or the catastrophe is built in to the creation. And that's where we're going back to uh, Zizek. Uh, he, 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 rec he recognizes that there, there's tension and you need it and there's brokenness and you, you, and he said that's basically all there is. So all we can do is be heroic in his understanding um, and sort of laugh and cry and, and try not to uh, uh, have too much trouble with the ordinary things in life, but at the same time to try to change things but realize that you're never going to be a redeemer, and and it is true that you uh, we're never going to bring in uh, the end. The end is is going to uh, come in God's time, in the time of love, and and that's a mystery. That's a really a mystery, and it's hard for us to uh, accept that. But that's uh, that's where I am anyway. In our third segment, we want to talk directly to the professors of the future and their professors today. Moving on from what you've been working on, we will talk about what it is like to be a scholar and how you made your way into academic life. We hope, over time, to map the journey from being an undergraduate student to being a professor of philosophy or theology, with an emphasis on teaching philosophy in undergraduate programs. This week, we'll ask our guest about something that happened in his undergraduate years that moved him in the direction um, to where he is now, an emeritus professor of ICS. So, Jim, tell us a bit about your undergraduate experience and how you came to be here. I grew up in Edmonton in a Christian Reformed um, setting. And uh, if you were going to do anything academic, um, and I wanted to do academic stuff, um, you had to go to Kelvin College. Um, I first got interested, I think, in academics in, in, in high school. Um, but then at the same time, I grew up and uh, wanted to be... Um, a minister that was like the thing to be if you were going to be um, of, of anything uh, important in the world is to be a minister and uh, oh yeah I could tell you that story um, in high school I was in a, in Edmonton in Victoria Composite High School in a special uh, class for people who were interested in academics and stuff. And I still remember one day um, the teacher said, uh, Driscoll, Miss Driscoll was her name, 
She says, what are you all going to be? And they, they went down the line, and uh, there was um, most of my classmates were going to be doctors and lawyers, doctors and lawyers. And sometimes uh, the girls, the women would say, well, yeah, they would like to be that, but probably they would end up being a nurse or something um, in that line. And when it came to me, I said, minister. And the teacher said, minister, you, you could be, you know, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, and you want to be a minister. I said, yeah, I want to be a minister. So I went to Calvin College, and um, then I was always interested in um, how my faith was going to work out in practice. I remember when I was in church, even in the early days when I was a student, and the um, minister would be praying, and sometimes they had long prayers in those days, and they would talk about God taking care of the injustice in the world. And I remember a couple of times uh, opening my eyes and saying, How is that going to work? Um, we don't seem to be doing anything about that in the world. How is God going to take care of the uh, injustice in the world? When I got to Calvin College, um, I heard about this professor, um, Evan Runner, and Evan Runner would say, well, boy, you know, you, we are supposed to be doing God's work in the world. So we got to um, organize uh, relationships in a way that there's a Christian approach. And so that caught my fancy because um, growing up in the high school, I always felt... Um, sort of a stranger in my high school because it was a public high school. And in those days, you couldn't talk about being a Christian so much. So, um, or, or faith was not talked about. So, um, and there were certain things as a Christian you wouldn't do. Um, you're not supposed to dance. You weren't supposed to drink. You weren't supposed to swear. You're, and so in the high school, I couldn't um, really participate in the communal activities because they were dancing. And But I didn't want to be a wallflower either. So I would get myself um, elected to the um, social committee. So I would announce the dances but wouldn't dance. But then I wasn't a wallflower. So I had one foot in the world and one foot out of the world. One foot onto the dance floor and one, so it was back and forth. With, um, at Calvin in, um, in Evan Runner's classes, he was, he was excited about um, having a reformation of society and so he inspired us. And at the same time, um, I went to class in Grand Rapids then at Calvin, and it was, the class was 10 to 8 in the morning. And one day, I, uh, it was a cold winter morning like this, and I kind of fell asleep. And all of a sudden, uh, I heard somebody saying, Old Tice, Old Tice, wake up! And that was the Professor Runner. <laughs> and he went to the windows and up, up and down, here, here, some air. And I thought to myself, I remember that, and I still remember to this day, I said, my goodness, he, he's really interested in, in me. Mm. And, and that sort of, from then on, I never fell asleep, and I got really interested in, in what, he, what he was doing. 
But he was teaching philosophy now, and uh, it was exciting. Um, and uh, so I became an English major, and I was on a pre-SEM course, uh, and uh, I was also working uh, with uh, Evan Runner on philosophical uh, matters. And then um, I went into the seminary, uh, but went in, into the seminary, it was like going back to grade school because it was, it was you, you were just told this is what it was. Um, it, it felt like uh, going back to grade two. Um, and then I thought, no, 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 this is, um, it looks like theology is just stuck and maybe 50 years behind development in philosophy. So I said to myself, I'm not, I'm not going to. I graduated from the seminary. And then I said, no, I'm going to go to uh, Amsterdam uh, and follow through philosophically uh, in, in, in uh, following the advice of uh, Evan Runner. And, uh, and then I... Um, well, then I did seven years of study in, in, in Amsterdam and uh, in philosophy, but it was philosophy in terms of uh, reformation. It was, it was in terms of not just teaching philosophy, but working for the uh, reordering of creation, trying to put into practice uh, what it means to be a Christian. And uh, then... Uh, when I was in, in Amsterdam, um, I could either, uh, after I finished, I could either go to um, Trinity Christian College, uh, they, um, the people wanted me to teach there, or to come to Toronto and, uh, and work at the Institute for Christian Studies. Um, that was just starting. Um, Hank Hart was the first uh, prof, and then um, Bernie Zylstra, and um, then I would have been the third, um, more or less the same. Uh, Bernie came to, here to Toronto about a month before I did, I, something like that. But anyway, um, and that got, so that got me interested because philosophy was, was allowed, you were allowed to think <laughs> and to work things out, and to also help people develop a, a worldview that would help them um, in whatever area of life that they were, they were working. So that's where I, I, I um, w was doing things. Then I discovered that um, when People asked me to speak in different churches and different groups. They were more cons they were concerned about the theoretic things, but they were also much more interested in um, working out their personal relations. And then I started to say, well, yeah, maybe we should look at um, the structures of ordinary life situations, marriage, family, friendship. Um, and then we should start also dealing with uh, the uniqueness of, of being human and um, the way that they acted and emoted and um, yelled and screamed. And so then I got also interested in um, psychology the psychology of, um, of understanding, the psychology of belief. And um, so I got interested in working on out, out counseling. And so then I had one foot in counseling and, and one in the academics, and that's what I've been doing for, for 50 years. Um, because I, uh, if people have a certain belief system, but their emotional life is not in order. They get all kinds of um, tensions, 
And so they often do all kinds of things which they don't really think they ought to do or they think they, um, they should actually do and they can't do it. Um, but that's, the, that's how I got interested in, in the academic wor world. It, it, made, uh, it made it meaningful to um, be a member of, of creation. Um, it, you could actually uh, wake up in the morning and say, hey, um, maybe I could do something today which is going to be meaningful for everybody. Um, and that's exciting. Um, and then I, that's probably, Mark, yeah, that's it. It's a, the way you raised the question. I think I was looking for um, my passion. That's, yeah, that's become my, my goal um, in life is to, to help the student find his or her passion. Um, so um, it's a matter of being with the student, encouraging them, believing in them even when they don't believe in themselves. And uh, in that sense, uh, being a, what would you call it, um, an, an encourager, give heart. Um, and that that has inspired my uh, academic career. I'm, I, I think I've always been more interested in helping, helping people find themselves than um, writing a book and getting some, making some um, great discovery or something like that. That's, um, yeah. So, um, You've been at ICS for quite some time now. Um, what uh, what keeps you going? What 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 do you love about ICS? And maybe what have been some challenges in your times at ICS as well? Well, one of the things that I I love about ICS, and, and it's also the most frustrating thing, is that the ICS has always been a fringe, on the fringe. Um, so. We're not quite a seminary. We're not a seminary. Um, but if you're not a seminary, then you don't fit into the structure of uh, of society as a as a, a faith organization. You either had to be um, philosophical, secular, and then you could have a seminary. But we want to be um, different, mm -hmm. and I've always liked the being called the school with a difference, and and we're small, and because we're small, um, it's precarious. Mm -hmm. You got to be uh, um, crazy to um, think that you can do something um, as small, but it it also is a very um, inspiring kind of thing because it gives you a passion. And one of the things that struck me and which keeps me going, because um, I've, I've been officially retired for 15 years, I like the, the look in a student's eyes with the, when they ask questions. They ask me a question and I will often answer something that I didn't even know that I knew, mm -hmm. but they, uh, their, their eyes drew out of me something, and, and I discover that uh, the Institute over all these years, even though it has few students, um, they're brilliant. They're, uh, if right now I, um, I've had students over the years, and they're all over the world, and there's some of the, the leading lights, I think, in, in, the, in the Christian tradition, and um, somehow or another, 
uh, I, I was able to uh, have some connection with them and, and maybe uh, uh, influence them in some way. And that, that keeps me going. It's sort of like, oh, they are still coming, looking for something um, that will make a difference in their life so they can contribute. And that turns me on. That, that um, compassion um, in our world is in exile. And I, I like to think that uh, we should all be compassionate. And that means finding your passion. Compassion is with passion. But um, everybody needs something that turns them on, a rush. Um, and, and, the, and the fact that people are, are connecting um, with each other and they're making a, um, their way as lovers in the world Yes, that turns me on and it keeps me going. Well, that's great. Um, thanks for talking with us today. It's been a real pleasure. And that brings us to the last of our regular segments. What is your pleasure? This is where we get to kick off our shoes and talk about the other things we do for fun. The movies and television shows we're watching, the sports and games we play, the food and drink we make and enjoy, and the music we listen to, and so on. So, Mark, what's your pleasure? Well, I am going to say that my pleasure right now is a new poetry um, volume by American poet Natasha Trethewey. It's called Monument. Uh, she's it's a collection of some older stuff and some new poetry, and she writes a lot of personal histories um, that bring themes of um, race and oppression and also um, give you a sense of her family and her upbringing. Um, they're really like heart-wrenching, uh, but also really beautiful in those heart-wrenching moments. So my pleasure is a film called Patterson. Okay. Which apparently came out in 2016. I thought it was a little more recent than that. That's okay. <laughs> Forever ago. Um, the basic premise of the movie is it follows this guy whose name is Patterson, who lives in this town called Patterson. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's a bus driver and also a poet. Okay. And it's very, it's a very slow movie. It's very, like the way the movie is made is poetic. And it, it's very repetitive in certain ways. Like it has a lot of vignettes of him kind of like narrating, reading his poetry hmm. as he's writing it, kind of like going over it again and again and again. And his life is very like habitual. Like he follows the bus schedule, obviously. And like it's very... Um, Routinized? Routine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, he sticks to, he sticks to routine a lot. Um has all these kind of like quirks and stuff and it's a very like it's a very quiet movie um and it follows his life and then he's married as well and kind of their relationship and as he's like trying to write this poetry and stuff and kind of the dynamics of that so like not a lot like happens hmm. so that can that can like turn people off of some films but it's all I, what did i i described it to someone sometime uh, i described it to a friend one time as a mundanely beautiful movie yeah because it's very much about just kind of like these things that you don't notice it's like there's a poem about matches and stuff like that um but it's just so like thoughtful and beautiful and uh made me cry just cuz it's so beautiful wow. Your aesthetic um, sensibilities are just like <laughs> going off the hook. Yes, yes. But it's not like that cheesy kind of crying. It's yeah. just like, oh, this is so lovely. It's just a natural reaction. Yeah, it is. It's just recognizing You're letting beauty. the art like encounter you, you know? <laughs> seeping or, through my eyeballs. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I would recommend the movie Patterson. And that brings us to the end of our show this week. 
If you would like to know more about the Center for Philosophy, Religion, and Social Ethics and the Institute for Christian Studies, you can visit us at icscanada.edu. If anything from this week's show piqued your interest, you can also email us at criticalfaith@icscanada.edu. You can also find us on Twitter. You can find my co-host as at Beware the Yeti and me as at Mark Standish. You can also follow ICS as at INSCHR. And from the heart of ICS, thank you all for listening. This has been Critical Faith. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes and consider giving us a review. It helps people find us and keeps us on their radar. Most importantly, tell your friends. Voila. Voila.